to say that, 2020. That's, that's, I don't know. They, I always heard when my grandparents say the older you get, the faster time goes, and never believed that, but now I do. So uh, it goes faster and faster, but hope you guys are doing well this morning. Um, we are going to be back in our series in Romans. We took a, a nice little break uh, for our Advent series of the month of December, so uh, I thought, well, one, there's not a better way to kick off the new year than, than being together in church, together as a family. But secondly, I think there's not a better way than to, to get back into Romans and to get back to what God's been teaching us and, and showing us through that book. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're picking up where I left off um, back in November. And so you may not be like me, and I forget week to week what's going on and uh, I'll get to uh, connect group during the week and I'll be the one that's preached and a lot of times I've forgotten what we talked about. So if you forgot um, what we talked about, always remember that we have all of our old previous messages online on our website and on the podcast. So I know with a lot of people traveling over the holidays and you may not have been here or whatever, you can always go back. Um, I would recommend uh, it'll make a lot more sense today's message if you were to go back and listen to that last message, just because verse 18, which we spent the entire time on back in November, is so crucial to your understanding of what happens in the verses we're going to look at today, which is 19 through 24, 25. So, uh, and I'm going to, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and start with verse 18 today. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it, just because we've spent so much time on it. But we're going to start Romans 8, uh, verse 18. And we're going to read through um, verse 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's three key points we're going to look at this morning. They kind of go hand in hand with each other. The first one being the creation is longing. Number two, the believers are waiting. Number three, the kingdom is coming. And if you want to know kind of a kind of a good summary verse for this entire text, or a good uh, kind of focal point, it's actually not the verses. It's not found in the verses we're covering today. It's actually found in verse eighteen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna allude back to that. Although I'm not gonna spend a lot of time breaking that down. In verse eighteen. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to, re, to be revealed in us. And I've said this before, I think, when we started Romans chapter 8. Um, 
not just me, but a lot of other scholars and, and people much smarter than me, preachers, whatever, Christians, believers, have said Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And it, it, it is, and it's hard to, in Romans 8, to single out one verse or two verses, but a couple verses that people like to, to really claim and cling to as whatever you want to call it, life verses or foundational verses, they're, they're great. And we've covered one, and we're going to cover one uh, next week. But Romans 8, 1, there's probably not a greater verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those uh, who are in Christ Jesus. And then the one we haven't covered yet, we will next week, Romans 8, 28. A lot of people, y'all, a lot of y'all memorize this, it's good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And if, if one of those is your life verse, then awesome, because that, it, that you couldn't pick a better verse in either one of those. But I think, honestly, when you look at Romans 8, one of the verses we often overlook is verse 18. And verse 18 is so crucial, and it goes so well with, yes, verse 1, yes, verse 28, but it really lays the foundation for verses 19 and 25, which is what we're looking at today. So always refer back, even today, if you find yourself as we're going through this, what's the main point? Refer back to 18. 18 is where we want to set up camp, because that's kind of where everything points back to. But if we start with number one, the, the creation is longing. Look at verse 19, and it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So if you go back and look at that, the, the original language there, in the, the Greek would indicate that the creation, if you can imagine this, this is personifying creation, but with that eager longing is imagine someone up on their tiptoes, their hand out, their, their, their gaze forward. They're just they're waiting with anticipation, so eager that they, they almost can't stand it anymore. You know, they're up on their toes, their, their hands are out, their eyes are focused to the future. And that's what that, that language is, is talking about there, is eagerly longing. It's almost a, a desperately longing for uh, the, 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 the revealing, what it says here, the revealing of the sons of God. Now, keep in mind that when we say, when the Bible says creation in this instance, it's referring to animals and plants and the life cycles and all the things that make up creation, but it's not referring to believers because believers are referred to there at the end of verse 19, where it says, for the revealing of the sons of God. And what is that actually talking about? What, what is creation longing for? Well, the, that phrase, revealing of the sons of God, indicates that there is a time coming when there will be a clear separation between the believers in Christ and the non-believers. And if we're honest, right now, you could walk into Walmart, or you could walk into a church for that matter, and... We, it's hard sometimes to tell the difference between a believer and non-believer because a lot of times our lives don't look that much different. They should, but we know that we're still in sin. We're still in the flesh. Nobody in this room, nobody on this earth is perfect. And so there is coming a time, though, what this is saying, is that the, the, the separation will be made very clear. Believers and non-believers, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the revealing of the sons of God is talking about. But while we're in this fallen, sinful world, we know that we're still in the flesh, even as believers. And as much as we want to do good, and we want to be like Christ, and we strive for that, and that is our goal, 
we all fail, right? We're, we're like, if you go back to Romans 7, Paul, one of the greatest uh, believers to ever live, he writes, wretched man that I am, exclamation point. That's a believer. That's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He knew that while he was here, like in this body, in this flesh, that I am nothing but wretched. Everything about me is sinful. And he actually says, it's a body of death. And that is true. This body will not last. And that's because of the fallen, sinful nature that we are in. But then in verses 20 and 21, if we keep going in this text, Paul explains why we struggle with sin. A lot of you know this, but look at what he says here in verse 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that's a word we don't necessarily use a lot, or I don't, uh, futility. I think most of you know what it means. It to be subjected to futility basically means you're kind of destined to not succeed. You're destined to maybe not fail, but not make progress. And futility is just, nobody wants a career of futility. Nobody wants a life of futility. And yet, it says the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And so what happened is, go back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the picture the Garden of Eden, you've got Adam and Eve, and we have what we call the fall, the, the fall of man, and, and sin enters the picture. Because before that, there was no sin, okay? And so you have this perfect divine creation, you know, Adam and Eve, the animals, the, the, the nature, everything's perfect, right? Then sin enters the picture, creates futility, and you can see it immediately in Genesis 3. And I'm not going to read the, all of it for you, but in just a couple verses, you don't have to turn, it's up on the screen. Genesis 3 Uh, verse 17, and to Adam, he said, this is God speaking, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, we've got to understand that the fall that we read about in Genesis 3, it, it set in motion the creation of things like thorns and thistles. Those things were non-existent. Disease and decay, sickness and death. That was not the original design. But when sin came into the picture, it says in verse 21, creation was captured in bondage and corruption from that moment forward all the way to now, right? So that's what happened in Genesis 3. But then if you look back in, 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 in verse 20 in Romans 8, there's a, there's a pronoun there that's a little bit confusing. And as I was studying this last week, I got a little bit confused. Pronouns are, can be confusing in, in biblical text, and especially if you don't put it in context. And if you look at verse um, 20, we've we got to ask, who's this talking about? It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So who is the him? And I think it's very easy when you read that to think, well, it's, it's got to be Adam, right? 
Adam was the one that sinned. Adam was the one that stood by and let Eve sin, did, did do nothing. Adam is the one that led us into futility. No, it's, it's not Adam. Or maybe it's easy to think that that him is Satan. Satan's the one we know was the tempter, right? He's the reason this started. So let's, the him there must be Satan. And I'll tell you that it's neither Adam nor Satan. The him is God himself. And we know that because of two words at the end of that verse. And those two words are because of him who subjected it, comma, in hope. In hope. See, Adam could not subject the world to futility in hope. Satan could not do that in hope. Dr. John Piper stated it very, very well when he said this. He said, Adam did not subject the world to futility and hope. Adam had no plan for the revelation of the children of God in due time. Satan did not subject the world to futility and hope. Satan had no plan for the revelation of the children of God in due time. So it's crucial that we understand, as Dr. Piper would say, that God's response to sin was subjecting creation to futility. That was his response to sin. And then it was in order to do two things. It was in order to teach us, number one, the absolute horror of sin. Like, sin comes, and here's God's response. Disease, decay, corruption, bondage. So horror of sin, but also to demonstrate the preciousness of what hope is and what redemption is. And those two words at the end of verse 20 are amazing. Because if you don't have those two words, we really got to think about who's in charge here. Was it Satan that subjected it? Was it Adam? And, and we all, like, I am who I am because Adam messed up. No, that has nothing to do with it. I, it's not the devil made me do it. It's not Adam's fault. What it is is that this is a response to sin from God because he takes sin so seriously But then he says, but let me also show you that there is hope. There is hope and redemption. And you see that in those last two words in verse uh, 20, 21 there. Second main component of this text, though, is is that the believers are waiting. Look at what Paul says in the next couple verses here. He says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, he's talking about believers, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so as believers in Jesus, we are waiting and we are anticipating the Lord's return. When he will, as Scripture describes it, create a new heaven and a new earth. And then at that point, his ultimate intended design will be fulfilled when we obtain the freedom of glory, as Paul says in verse 21. Now, notice, though, this is the hard part for us to swallow, is that while we're waiting, that waiting includes pain, and that waiting, even Paul describes here, including inward groans. That's deep pain. That's deep loneliness. That's deep separation that's hard it's even hard to put words to describe what that is inward groans you ever felt so sick you ever been so sick where you couldn't even personify it in in words that's I think the the notion here pain 
and inward groans as we wait for what? The redemption of our bodies. And so the redemption of our bodies, he says, so it says we're adopted into God's family. Your adoption is complete when you accept Jesus as your Savior. Your adoption is complete. You cannot be taken out of the family. So once you're grafted in, you're in. But what he's talking about here is that your adoption will be made complete when you receive your glorified bodies, which are free from the corruption of sin and death. So you, right now, you're in the, if you've accepted Christ and you've submitted to him, you're in the family of God, okay? You are a believer. That will never change. But what, it, but what you still are in and what I'm in right now is this is not a glorified body. This body gets older every single day, has problems every single day, and most importantly, it has sin every single day. And what he's saying is it won't be completed until you receive your glorified bodies, which is then my original design. That's the original design of creation. I was thinking about this, and I came across a scenario that really paints this well when he talks about pain. And it comes from, from John Piper. I love, I love Dr. Piper. And he paints this scenario about pain, especially about pain while we're waiting on our redemption. And I, I want, I've got his quote up here, and you, don't, you can read along or whatever. But this is what he says. He said, imagine you're in a hospital, and you hear a woman across the hall groan or scream. It makes all the difference in how you feel if you know you are on the maternity ward and not the oncology unit. Why? He says, pain is pain, isn't it? And the answer is no. Some pain leads to life, and some pain leads to death. And what verse 22, Romans 8, promises is that for the children of God, all pain leads to life. All the groanings of this world are the birth pains of the kingdom of God. Listen closely to what he says. If you are part of the kingdom, you're a child of the king, all your sufferings are labor pains and not death spasms. I cannot paint a better more accurate picture for you than what Dr. Piper paints in that scenario. Do you see what he's saying? He said, if you're, if you're in the hospital and you hear someone screaming, it makes all the difference where you are in the hospital, right? If you're on the, 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 the cancer unit and you know people there are dying every day because of deep stages of, of cancer and you hear screams and pain, that is a different thing altogether then like many of you have been on a maternity ward and you hear labor or you hear screams and groans. Total different scenario. It's not death spasms, it's labor pains. And so we've got to understand that the, the suffering of this world, first of all, it is universal. So what that means is it will affect every single person, believer, non-believer, agnostic, atheist, whatever. Holy, unholy, suffering is universal, will affect every one of us. And then on the, the believer side of it, you've got to think of it as you're going to experience suffering, not because of some heinous sin you've committed, which is what our minds typically think. You're, you're not going to experience suffering in your life because you made some horrible decision when you were 14 years old, and, and now when you reach 35 or 55, it's coming back to haunt you. That's, that's not what suffering is about. We are subjected to suffering because of the creation was subjected to the futility and to the suffering. It says, that's what he says here. The whole creation is groaning. And I hate to tell you, but 
we're not exceptions to the groaning. We're not exceptions to the pain. And that's why John Piper, in that same scenario, he continued, he said, beware of thinking of all your suffering as if it all has to do with something you did individually. I love this phrase. Don't overly personalize your suffering. A lot of y'all need to hear that this morning. Don't overly personalize your suffering. Search your heart in the suffering, in that time of pain. Let it make you serious. Let it make you vigilant. Let it make you humble. But he says, don't add misery to misery that's not intended. I think a lot of times as believers, we add misery to misery. Because somewhere we're overly, in the deep recesses of our mind, if not consciously, we're overly personalizing our suffering. And so we're thinking, this situation is occurring in my life because of, and, and you, you, you internalize it and you personalize it. And yes, I don't want to take away from there are consequences to sin. You make dumb decisions, there's going to be consequences. God has, is clear about that. But many, many times, many, many times in the believer's life, the suffering has nothing to do with your obedience or disobedience. Just like your salvation has nothing to do with your disobedience or obedience. It has to do with the grace of God. And so when you think about being under the universal umbrella of suffering, be careful when you get in the middle of those storms not to internalize it to the point where, as Piper says, you're adding misery to misery. And that misery is not intended. You're bringing that on. You're allowing the enemy to bring that on. And so that you know that what's coming for us, and we've talked about this, and go back to verse 18, I always refer back to 18, that the, the pain we experience on this side of heaven, they're labor pains. They're preparing us for, number one, eternal life. And number two, an eternal weight of glory that is yet to be revealed. You're, you're not going to see it on this side. But it's coming. That's what verse 18 is talking about. And that's why the greatest component of this text is the third and last component, and that is the kingdom is coming. And if this doesn't, like, move your soul, then you need to be awakened this morning. The kingdom's coming. We've looked at the creation is longing. We see that all around us. People talk about global warming and all the environmental stuff, and all that's true. And, and if you want to know that's true, read the Bible. It says creation is groaning. The earth is not going to get better. Sorry to bust everybody's bubble that's in the environmental craze. I'm not saying we should do crazy things to hurt the environment, but that's what the Bible says. The earth is getting worse and worse. Decay, destruction. It's not going to reverse. The whole creation is longing. Believers are waiting. But here's the greatest part. The kingdom is coming. Look at what he says in these last couple of verses. Verse 24, 25. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Dr. John MacArthur described that hope in a very simple way. He said that hope is not based on wishful thinking, but it's based on the integrity of the promises of God. Isn't it good to know that our hope, if you're in Christ, in which Paul says in verse 24, we are saved in that hope, is something you don't have to cross your fingers and just, I wish this could happen in a perfect world, maybe this will happen. No, that hope is not something where we're crossing our fingers and 
playing games. It is something that is based on the integrity of the promises of God. Our hope is built on the integrity of God himself. And what kind of promises am I talking about? Well, we could be up here all day. I pulled two of them. I could pull 800 of them because God's word's full of them. What about the one Jesus gave us in John 6, 37? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Promise. We claim it. What about what the Holy Spirit reveals through Paul in Philippians 1, 6? And Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When? At the day of Jesus Christ. At the day of Jesus Christ. At that return. See, God's word is so rich and so powerful and it's so full of these promises in which we base our hope. And I will even leave you with this, that God's word goes beyond just powerful promises, which is full of, but it even gives us glimpses of grace that so eloquently describe the, the it that Paul says in verse 25. Again, one of those kind of short words, what he's talking about, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's stop there. What's the it? Well, thankfully, we know what the it is. John was given a vision, and that vision is described very well in Revelation 21, some of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. John says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Man, I love those verses. I love that John records that the one who is seated on the throne, after he says these incredible things, he says, oh, by the way, John, write these things down, because these things are trustworthy. These things are true. They're based on my integrity. And see, God knew, just like we would probably know this, that John would have trouble believing what he was seeing. He'd have trouble believing his own eyes. Like, am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? And he knew that he would have trouble convincing other people. Like, John, you're losing your mind, man. What are you talking about? And so God takes all the guesswork out of the equation for John. He says, John, write this down. Because what I'm telling you is trustworthy. What I'm telling you is true. There is an incredible hope that God has given us through creation, through our salvation, and even through the waiting, through the pain, through the inward groans, but especially through the power and promises of God's Word. And, and that's really, if we, if we boil it all down, that's what these verses are about this morning. So when life brings suffering and life brings hardship, and I say when, not if, because it will. Some of you know it right now, and if you don't know it, you will know it. And if you know it, you'll probably know it again. Why? Because we have been subjected to the futility because of sin. It all, it all, the Bible traces it's all one picture. Genesis to Romans 
to where we just ended in Revelation. But here's the thing is, is we know we're going to go through it. And it might be uh, a couple weeks ago we had Altaf here. And Altaf really rattled some, some of our worlds a little bit talking about persecution and talking about how we have no idea here in America what persecution is. I mean, it, it, it rattled me to the core to hear some of his stories and to hear what's going on to our brothers and sisters in, in, in Pakistan and other places where in the Middle East where it's, it's serious. So could it come in the form of persecution? Absolutely. But it may not. It could come in the form of disease. It could come in the form of the decay of the body. It could come in the form of a satanic attack. It could come in the form of a natural disaster or a broken relationship. It could come in whatever form it comes in. It doesn't matter what the form is. What it matters is is that our trust and our hope in God's goodness and his love for us stands firm through the waiting and through the not knowing. Because when you're in the middle of that, when you're in the middle of that suffering, when you're in the middle of that storm and that dark night, you're not going to have the answers. And you're not going to know. Nobody's going to be able to explain it to you But you still, what God's saying is just know. Just know what I'm telling you. John, write this down. John, write this down. What I'm saying is true. What I'm saying is trustworthy. What verse 25 is saying is, behold, I'm coming back. The kingdom is coming. What's going to happen is exactly what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4.17. When we are finally prepared for an eternal weight of glory, which is beyond all comparison. Guys, that, that time is coming. It may come today. It may come tomorrow. It may come in five years or ten years or 5,000 years. I don't know when it's coming, but rest assured that that hope is not in vain. As we start this new year and as you start looking at your life and you start looking at the areas that need improvement, do so with the idea that everything we see in person is not everything that there is that we are striving for things that we cannot personify, things that we cannot see, and that our hope is not in vain. And why? Because God cannot lie. God will always keep his promises. And I can't think of a way better for us to start this year than standing on God's promises that says, you know what? They're true and they're trustworthy. Not because you want to hope they are and they make you feel better, but because I said them, and I cannot lie. They're based on my integrity, God's integrity. The other thing that we can do to start the new year off right is celebrate the death and the the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And we're going to do that. Uh, David's going to come and close us with communion. Um, We do it the first of every month, but I think it's especially important to do it the beginning of a year. We want to start out the year right. We want to start out with hope. We want to start out on the right foot. There could be nothing better than doing so by reflecting on the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, I I thank you for the, the trustworthy and the true nature of your word. Um, that it's based on your integrity and not our hope. It's not based on our understanding. It's not based on our uh, comprehension. Uh, you give us so much hope. And Lord, I pray for every believer in this room that they would stand and walk and exist and breathe and move 
in that hope that you've given us. They may not feel it. They may not see it. They may be going through one of the worst, darkest moments of their life this very moment. And yet your hope is ever true and ever strong. And it will never change based on the circumstances that we experience on this side of heaven. And Lord, for those in this room that are not believers and they're not sure where they stand, Lord, there's there's no better decision they can make than to put their hope and to put their trust in you. Let their eternity be settled because of a decision they make to put all of their faith, all of their trust into you. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd speak through your word and through David as he prepares our hearts and our minds for the greatest of celebrations, what you told us to do as in to do in remembrance of me. And I pray that's what we do right now, that we would remember, we would celebrate. In your name, amen.